0: This message comes from NPR sponsor Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. Thanks to Dana-Farber's foundational work, protein degradation can target cancer-causing proteins and destroy them right inside the cell. Learn more at DanaFarber.org slash everywhere.
1: Welcome to The Limits, I'm Jay Williams, and I want to take you to the suburbs of Lyon, France for one second.
2: Who will be crowned the best team in the world today?
1: To an arena home to over 50,000 fans and some of the best soccer players in the
2: world. By to the game's opening up, Rose Laval. lovely run, great goal, brilliant goal, Rose Laval might have won the World Cup.
1: I'm talking about the 2019 World Cup. The U.S. Women's National Soccer Team defeated the Netherlands. Trust me, I know. I actually felt like I was there. My wife and I were yelling at the TV screen like nothing else mattered. But it was a moment that was special in particular for the superstar Megan Rapino, who scored one of the team's two goals for the win. Listen to this crowd as America secured the win. That's right. Those fans are chanting equal pay at a soccer game. You see, Megan isn't just an all-time great athlete. She's an activist. She's a champion on and off the field for what matters. From LGBTQ rights to battling racism, she does it all. And she's one of the biggest advocates for equal pay in all of professional sports. Despite winning two Olympic gold medals and four World Cup tournaments, the women's team has always been paid less than the men's. And they've been fighting for what they deserve for years. In 2016, five of the team's top players, including Megan, filed a complaint alleging wage discrimination against U.S. soccer. In 2019, they filed a gender discrimination lawsuit against U.S. soccer asking for a total of $67 million in back pay and compensation. Those efforts finally paid off this year. The team reached a $24 million settlement with US soccer and equal pay is now reality for soccer in this country. And damn, what a milestone. I sat down with Megan to talk about it all, what it took for her to stand up to the limits of her sport and how she's preparing for life after soccer. Here's my conversation with the great Megan Rapinoe. Megan, first and foremost, Thank you for coming on the pod. It's not every day you get talked to a straight up legend. So I just want to say I appreciate you.
2: (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm excited to come on.
1: How are you doing?
2: I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. I'm just in the middle of season and getting that going. I had a a few injuries in the beginning of the season. um, So that was a little bit frustrating to kind of start the season off that way. Uh, but getting back into it now. So looking forward to heading into summer and being able to play more games.
1: I don't know, because I've been thinking about this for a while. And I was like, should I congratulate her? I mean, obviously, equal pay is something that's worth congratulating. But at the same time, I almost feel like that's, uh, it's something that should be that way, right? So help me frame, how do you even engage in the conversation when it comes up?
2: Uh, yeah, you can congratulate us, but U.S. soccer gets no congratulations. They've been trying to like wrap themselves around the win, and I'm like, it just, huh. and I'm like, you do realize that equal pay achieving it means that you weren't, so you know you're not going to get any
0: yeah. pats
2: on the back for this. But um, I mean, it, it, it's it, we shouldn't have had to have done it and had this sort of years long fight. But um, I think a, a nice congratulations are in order. There's obviously been, um, a lot of people involved, so much work and effort and all of that. Um, you know, honestly, maybe it's a congratulations for the, for the people coming after. Cause that's really the, <laughs> the true gift of it all is they get to, <laughs> they get to uh, live long and prosper. Um, we, we, we might capture a, a little bit of it, but that's, that's kind of how it goes.
1: All right. I, I know we'll dig deeper into that, but I, I kind of, in order to understand where we are, we always have to go back to understand where we came from. And I am so curious about your earliest memories of playing sports and actually what got you hooked on the game of soccer?
2: You know, I think it was my older brother, actually. Um, I'm a twin. So me and my twin sister were the youngest of all the kids. Um, And the brother right above us, he's five years older, he played. So I think honestly, as a, as a, like a, babysitting mechanism. My mom was like, you guys are, you guys are coming and we would just play on the side and we obviously had each other. Um, but I think both of us just, uh, you know, kind of like idolized my brother in that way. And we would play in the front yard and, uh, you know, my sister and I would play one-on-one everything, uh, soccer, baseball. I don't even know how we played all these sports one-on-one, but we, we sort of found a way, but yeah, soccer just kind of stuck. Um I I think probably having him as you know he was pretty into it and um played travel travel soccer a little bit and kind of having that like person to look up to and that team to look up to early on kind of set the stage for us.
1: So I'm the only child in my family so I I would always get that kind of competition outside the family atmosphere when I would yeah. play AAU basketball when I would play you know soccer locally things of that sort but I, I I'm going on having my third child my wife is I don't know why I said I like I do anything <laughs> other than support yes we or actually she would yell at me she is going on having <laughs> our third child Thanks. and I'm, I'm learning these dynamics between my son and my daughter that they're just naturally becoming competitive at little small things and it's mm-hmm. like inherent in everything they do so you being one of five Was that just something that automatically happened? Did you feel like you got beat up on by your older brother? Like, what was that relationship like?
2: I think because he was five years older from Rachel and I, I think more of the competitiveness came between us. Obviously, being um, twins, we didn't really have the like, I want to be better than you per se, but it was like, we want to play and we want to play. Hard. And so we could play everything one-on-one as well. It was like, you know, we were done with our homework after school. It was like, go outside and, and do whatever. And then I think because he was five years older and my other siblings are a little bit even older than that. So they were a little bit more detached. We weren't like all kind of bang, bang, bang in the same age. So he was more like kind of a teacher um, he would, he would whoop us though. I mean, he would beat up, he would beat a, beat our asses all the time. Um, but I think cause he was so much older, became a little bit more kind of like a, a mentor teacher role. He'd have us out there doing little drills or something like that. But I think the competitiveness came between Rachel and I, because we just wanted to play everything and we wanted to win everything. I never really won a lot when I was little, she was always like better and stronger and everything really until we got into high school. So that's probably where my the little chip on my shoulder came from is never being able to beat her.
1: That's incredible. I know you made mention of your brother being like a mentor to you, considering he was five years older. And I also know that he struggled with drug addiction. Can you take me through how that shaped you on and off the field?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it was hugely influential. Um, I felt like he was so influential in the first, you know, part of my life. And then, um, when we were like 10, so he was about 15 uh, was the first time that he kind of like got in some real trouble. He got arrested at school. um, And at that point he just was kind of in the system. He got caught with drugs at school and um, you know, he really obviously needed rehab at that point. um, Probably some intervention like that, but I think we didn't really know what to do about it. Um, I mean, obviously I've learned so much about addiction and processing that. And um, I think just being empathetic to that as well. Like, I mean, people want to say, Oh, you make, you know, people make choices and that it's like, yeah, okay. Like it's, it's a little bit more complicated than that. Uh, exactly. yeah, it's way more complicated. It's like we came from the same household. So obviously it's not all just in the, you know, the choices people make. And, uh, you know, he's obviously an, an amazing person, but, um, addiction is, is no joke, especially he got into pills and opioids and eventually heroin. And that's just a, a whole a whole beast. So I feel like it opened my eyes a lot to um criminal justice system, to opioid addiction in the country. Obviously, we know all about that, Sacklers, rest in hell. And just like being more <laughs> empathetic, I think and and kind of just understanding myself better. I mean, I think I was so angry for a long time, I didn't really understand. Obviously, if you've you know had any experience with addicts or addictive behavior, um it's just, it's, you know, it makes you selfish and it makes you do, you know, things that are, um, you know, not loving and not caring. And, um, I think as a younger person, I, I kind of had a lot of anger around that. I'm sure I like channeled it into sports, but I think growing up a little bit made me, you know, realize much more what was going on and, and try to be much more empathetic about that. And then, you know, trying to use my voice as much as possible to bring light to that situation. Cause it's just not simple. I think we just demonize. You know addicts so much or demonize drug use or demonize so many things and it's just much more nuanced than that
1: oh, tell me about it. I mean uh, working in the media People love for things to be painted black or white right to keep yeah. them simple But we live in a reality that is extremely more complex than just this or that and you know Frankly, I was addicted to oxycotton for a pretty long time after my accident mm-hmm. so I'm very very aware of the pendulum swing of emotions, the anger, the selfishness that comes along with the issue. Isn't it crazy, Megan, how a lot of those complexities of your own emotion can get channeled into sports? And I I say that because, you know, I dealt with some domestic violence growing up in my household. And I found myself shooting around on the basketball court and me pounding the ball harder, me driving to the rim, me coming up with these imaginative moments in my head was a release from where I was actually at with my family, right? And the anger that I had that I didn't know properly how to articulate even, I just played. And um, I think one of the things that's so fascinating about your craft, about how brilliant you are at your craft, do you think people understand the sacrifice that comes along with the hours that you put in to be where you're at? because they only see the finished product. They don't see all the behind the scenes work that goes into all the details that make you how brilliant you are.
2: Mm-hmm. I think it is difficult. Um, I think it's difficult without it sort of knowing that intimately, and I think it's difficult for athletes to express, because it seems like every time we start to get into it, it's like, yeah, but you're like playing a sport that you love, like most people would love to be able to find something they're so passionate about and devote their whole lives to. But it's like, once you're in it, it, it's just, like I said, like multiple things are are true at one time. So while there is a lot of sacrifice, it's also something that you want to do, but then it also becomes something that you know, you have to do. And then that's hard too, of like, you know when you're like on point, whether it's working out or your nutrition or just like your mindset, you know exactly where you're giving 100% and where you're giving like 98% or 95% or 99%. And it's it's like Hmm. this sort of mental battle all the time of giving your all. And I think that's the difficult part that people don't realize is like it's not really just when you're training or just when you're playing or just in your season. It's like literally all the time. So it's like, even when we have, you know, a vacation or season's over, it's like, yeah, but you have like, you know, you have like 10 to 14 days of vacation and then, you know, like the first seven, you can do nothing. And then you should start like, at least like walking or doing a stretch. And then it's like, you're going to eat whatever you want. And then it's like, okay, now we're done with that. And now we're going to like get back into our program. And, and, you know, so it's like all those little things that just literally shape if you're, I mean, I feel like, and, and you know this intimately, it's like, we've been on a schedule since... Whole life. Yeah, whole life. Like, really? I mean, I, you know, of course, once we got into college, it got more serious than that. And, if, you know, kids now, they're like doing stuff when they like come out of the womb. It's wild. But I think that's <laughs> the hardest thing to explain is like, even when we're off, we're not off. Like, it's, it, you're, you're just never done until you're done.
1: See, by the way, when you made the comment about kids uh, training coming out the womb, isn't it crazy these days? Because I have parents that come up to me and Megan, they're like, my son's five. He wants to be an NBA player. Can you help us put together a training regimen? And we, I'm going to every day, I'm like, he's five. Yeah. Like he's five. Let him noodle on a piece of paper. Yeah. It's not that serious.
2: Yeah. Or the kid's like 16 and they're like, I want to be on the national team. And I'm like, have you seen your kid play? Like, no offense. They're not, they're not going to make it. I hate to break it to you. You Are you that real
1: with people? Are you that real with people? Or do you kind of like dance around it? But like, sometimes I'm
2: like, you know, or I'll hit them with like, you know, honestly, I feel like, (laughs) you know, the cream rises and like, they need to enjoy it. And, you know, if they're, if they're there, they're there. And if they're not, they're clearly not.
1: You know, our journeys in sports are never as simple as A to B. There's always a story beneath the story, stresses that people actually don't know that we even go through. After the break, Megan dives into the path to equal pay and the work we still have left to do. So stay with us. This is The Limits from NPR. I'm Jay Williams.
0: This message comes from NPR sponsor Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. It's called protein degradation. And if you're a bad protein in a cancer cell, you'd better get your affairs in order. Because now, thanks to Dana-Farber's foundational work, protein degradation can target cancer-causing proteins and destroy them right inside the cell. This approach is making a difference in multiple myeloma and other blood cancers and is how Dana-Farber is working to treat previously untreatable cancers. More at DanaFarber.org slash everywhere. And NPR listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXLLearning.com.
1: This election season, you can expect to hear a lot of news, some of it meaningful, much of it not. Give the Up First podcast 15 minutes, sometimes a little less, and we'll help you sort it out what's going on around the world and at home. Three stories, 15 minutes, Up First every day. Listen every morning, wherever you get your podcasts. Take a moment and close your eyes. Do an exercise with me. Imagine being one of the greatest soccer players in the entire world. I'm talking about Olympic gold medals, FIFA's best women's player of 2019, and Sports Person of the Year for Sports Illustrated the same year. Got all that in your mind? Now imagine on top of all that, you're the megaphone of a movement for equal pay. Speaking at the White House going on shows like CNN and podcasts like this one all the time. How the hell do you make all that work? Here's Megan and I talking about shattering the limits of professional sports and the work that still needs to be done. So my wife played soccer at Louisville. And my daughter, Amelia, is now on the soccer team. And we have a lot of these conversations around it because we yeah. we keep asking the bigger questions about, you know, when will the media investment become exponentially larger for women's sports? Uh, because you don't hear enough stories about women and where they come from and how they've had to battle through it and how they're they're not being marketed the same way to the same degree that the men's game is. And, mm-hmm. you know, we were talking about this moment when equal pay became cemented in the CBA. And uh, she was thrilled about it. But I'm curious when that moment, when you heard it, like what was the feeling that went through your body when you first heard the news? Was there like, were you, was there elation or was there more there's still a ton of work to do?
2: Oh, there's definitely still a ton of work to do. Um, But this is a huge moment. Uh, It feels a little surreal to be honest. I'm like, Oh my God, it actually happened. Like all the work that we, put in is, is actually happening. And I feel like overwhelming pride in the team and our, you know, sort of larger team around us that has made this happen because it's so difficult. It's literally pushing a boulder up a mountain. It's going, you know, against the grain in every single way with an establishment that you know, has been around for so long and is just, it's used to operating in a certain way. In so many ways, they probably don't even know that it was unequal or they don't even know what they're perpetuating. So, I mean, uh, like immense joy and immense pride. And I think for me too, I have a keen understanding of what this means for the future. And like, that's the most exciting part. Like I'll never get back what I deserve or what I lost, or there's, there's no way to recoup that. Like I'm 36 now. I'm like, y'all owe me an entire career's worth of money. Like <laughs> you probably owe me like 10 million, 15 million dollars. So like I'm never getting that back. And that's fine. And well, it's not fine, but it's like it's not changing. Um, <laughs> if anybody wants to make up that delta for me, it's like, you know, you can just see Rapino at uh, you know,
1: Abby back on line two, Mia Ham on line three. Yeah, as
2: well. I'm like, oh, you want to make up that delta? Great. Um, But I think for me, knowing what this means for the future and just like what this means, because the thing I think people don't really understand too, or they maybe don't take into account or we haven't explained it as much is like when you come out of college and you're immediately legitimized by the media or by your shoe contract or by how much money you make, like that all works to prop up. Sport And prop up the legitimacy of certain sports and the legitimacy of like athletes, basically. So I feel like that part is the most important for me is like these players are going to come out making money, which already just legitimizes them. I think in our country, that's the chief way. And in so many ways that we show, you know, appreciation or respect or value people is the money. And then they have like a lifetime to grow into that, which The money part also allows you freedom and like freedom to speak out, freedom to make bold choices, freedom to maybe go against your federation or freedom to, you know, take a bold stance. It just gives you that autonomy to do things that can push your sport. I mean, even thinking about, you know, the way that LeBron James completely changed the whole NBA Like if he's only making a million or $2 million, like maybe he doesn't put that on the line, but like Mm -hmm. he was making all that. And he saw a way bigger vision and he wanted to change that. And he was able to do that because he was financially secure from, you know, the time he got drafted. He was able to take risks for himself, whether that's, you know, investing in Mav or investing in Rich. Um, you know, investing not in a literal term, but like investing in their vision of doing something different. It allows you to see things from a different perspective, I think, than you do when you just don't make any money. And I see it even just from, you know, the player's experience in the NWSL, how much abuse that players have put up with over the years. Um, You know, even just like verbal abuse, like dumb shit that like, if, if, if a coach said something to me like that, like, there's no way I'm, I'm like, I'm getting like it, fired
1: immediately. What's an example of that? What's an example of that? Just
2: like, well, our coach got fired last year from the ring. He made some, it was basically like a fat shaming comment. He was talking about, he's going to like take people's food away. And I'm like, Oh my God, grow up. You just got yourself fired. You're so stupid. But like just little stuff like that, where if you're making $25,000 and you have no autonomy over your rights, you have, you're not a free agent. Uh, you're barely scraping by. You just came out of college like you're not going to say anything. You're, you're just not like it's too difficult to to put someone in that position.
1: Okay, so speaking of calling it out, I, I got a quote from one of the detractors of equal pay without saying that person's name. And they use the stat from ESPN. Now I would love to have you answer to. Right. <laughs> so here, are you ready for this, Megan? Here's a stat or the quote, quote unquote, the entire bonus pool for the 2000 2000- and 22 World Cup in Qatar will be 400 million while the bonuses for the women's tournament in Australia in 2023 will be 60 million put another way in the previous World Cup cycle the last place men's team won more prize money than the first place women's team how do you respond to that <sighs>
2: like with a huge eye roll, first of all, I'm always just like, it, it, is a, it is a little bit of a complicated issue. And it's a little bit more nuanced than, you know, at times we've even expressed it. So I'll, I will um, concede on that. But it's also like, okay, well, why is the men's 400 million? And why is the women's 400 million? And like, has the investment been the same all along? Or hasn't mm. been different? Because we can't get to the point where we are now, In any sport. I mean, you could take, you know, WNBA or or whatever it is, women's national team. You can't get to the point now after there's been billions of dollars of investment in men's sports. And I don't even know if there's been hundreds of millions. We'll just, you know, maybe there's been $100 million of investment. And then mark us against each other or, or compare us against each other with the exact same metrics. It's like that makes absolutely no sense. And I think everyone would agree with that. Also, just because things have been done a certain way doesn't mean that they were done the right way. And, and also, it doesn't mean that we have to do them that way in the future. Like, we can decide whatever kind of world we want to live in and what we feel like is fair and what maybe atones for the past and what makes up gaps. So it, to that, it's just like, I mean, it's, it's so frustrating because the investment piece is just, like, astronomically different and so until that is equal like I don't want to talk about you know whether it's TV rights or sponsorship dollars or anything like that and I actually think the women's after team is a is a really amazing example of this like considering that we haven't been paid as much and that as much attention and effort hasn't been put towards you know from our own for- federation or sponsors or TV ship rights and we're still successful. Like that to me is an argument to look at, well, maybe we should invest more and then we can all make more money and we can all have, you know, a, a better opportunity to be playing on a, on a level playing field instead of just looking at everything that's been done in the past, which we know is sexist and we know more has been put to men and then judging us against each other, you know, right now, it just like puts it in a vacuum and just doesn't, there's no nuance and there's no um, you know, accounting for wrongs done in the past.
1: So what kind of work still needs to be done?
2: I mean, the enforcement of it always. I mean, as, as you know, a collective bargaining agreement is just words on paper. It's like, it doesn't, it does it doesn't actually make anyone do anything. It's the enforcement on both sides that actually make that happen and the collaboration and working together. Um, I think it's also rebuilding U.S. soccer in a lot of ways. They've operated this way and the same way for a very long time, and they're going to need to change, you know, not just hearts and minds, but I think practices and systems that they have and their their sort of way of doing things. And then I think it's taking this exciting moment and building on it, uh, whether that's a media rights deal or sponsorships or whatever it may be, and, and just continuing to – ascend. I think sometimes when you have these big, uh, you know, sort of historic whether it's like, a, I mean, I think we even see this just normal society, whether it's like civil rights or gay rights and then think about what's happening with, you know, potentially with Roe v. Wade. Now it's like, like you get this big win and then people kind of get comfortable and it's like, we can't get comfortable. We have to keep, you know, our foot down on the pedal and keep progressing the sport the way that we know that it needs to be.
1: Anyone else would bask in this moment, just a little longer, but not Megan. She's saying we're not finished yet. That's called being relentless. It's what separates the good from the great. After the break, Megan and I talk more about finding the meaning in the world off the field. Plus, will she go for a three-peat win and be part of the next World Cup? I'm ready to buy my damn tickets. Stay with us. This is The Limits from NPR. I'm Jay Williams. Visit tinydeskcontest.npr.org to learn more. Then check out the Venture X card from presenting sponsor Capital One. Earn unlimited 2x miles on everything you buy and turn everyday purchases into extraordinary trips. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details.
0: Support for NPR and the following message come from Scholastic with free period by Ali Therese. Free period is Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, for a new generation, and is a hilarious and necessary novel for young readers featuring themes of empowerment, activism, and gender equity.
1: What does it mean to be black in America? In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as black experiences, you'll hear it means everything. Search NPR Black Stories Black
2: Truths wherever you get your podcast.
1: If you're a professional athlete, at a certain point of your career, hopefully sooner rather than later, you need to start thinking about what you want to do next. And that's never easy. Now I was lucky. I went to Duke. I was given opportunities to succeed in ways off the court when my NBA career got cut short. In Megan's case, we're talking about a professional career that spans over decades. So she's taking it a year at a time. And she and her partner, WNBA superstar Sue Bird, are slowly figuring out what matters to them as their careers wind down. They're looking for joy and greatness beyond their professional sports. Here's what Megan had to say. If we come to the 2023 World Cup, Megan, will I see you there? Will I see you there playing?
2: I hope so. I should, hope should so. Should I buy I, a
1: ticket? Should I buy a ticket cuz I'm only coming if you're playing.
2: It is in Australia, so it is going to be nice. Um I hope so. Uh, that's the that's the plan now. Um mm-hmm. yeah, like I said I had a couple little injuries. I'm getting a little bit older, so I want to go through the season and see how my body feels and all that, but I feel like I still have a lot to give and you know, I know the team, the dynamic of the team, especially the national team is changing a lot with a lot of younger players um who are absolutely killing it, but I feel like I'd be a nice bridge into the, the next generation.
1: I mean, one more World Cup. I mean, it, it, it could help. It can help the resume. The resume like, is already pretty dope, but it, it would be nice.
2: The thought of a 3 threepeat too. This could be like oh. three in a row. That's like that's like '90s Bulls territory. And yes, that's a that,
1: that's, that's that's next level dynasty, Megan.
2: It's this dynasty stuff, and I feel like that's that's very enticing to me.
1: You know, for me doing TV every single day and then being home and doing TV, I found myself doing hobbies and finding inspiration in things that I never even thought I would find inspiration. And I'm, I'm curious, where do you find that joy and inspiration off the field now?
2: That's a good question. I actually feel like I'm, I'm still working into that. And I think part of it is because of, um, COVID, but specifically like the athlete experiencing COVID of just never wanting to get it because like, who knows how you're going to react to it. I recently bought a guitar. I I've played guitar for a long time, like growing up and, um, lost my guitars at, at some point. So I just recently got that again. Um, that I think is really nice and just kind of a like a physical, but mental thing. It's like, you actually have to do, you know, something and concentrate, but it's kind of an easy way to zone out. Uh, and living in Seattle, obviously so much water around us. One of our good friends has a boat. And so anytime we can get out on the boat mm-hmm. and just relax, it's just like, there's nothing, there's nothing like it. It kind of takes you completely out of the world, which is nice.
1: So have you and Sue had any conversations about what retirement looks for you both? Cause I know you signed a one-year deal. She signed a one-year deal with Seattle um, and it's people are starting to talk about that kind of thing,
2: yeah, I mean, I think for for both of us, we're just kind of yeah. literally taking it one year at a time and and making sure that um we're enjoying it and it's it's worth it. And we still want to be out there and kind of savoring these last moments of our careers um we're excited um there's there's of course, like you know what I was saying before, what are we gonna do and sort of filling your days and uh you know kind of finding a, a new center that'll have to just come in time but i think we we're both you know so excited to to do other things i mean i think you know kind of like i was saying before about the sort of 360 demand that is sports it is really like a, a a physical spiritual and emotional demand on your body and and on your mind and your heart so i think we're both looking forward to like that freedom of Yeah. Maybe we like do weekend trips. Like people, normal people do all kinds of fun things all the time. They like plan their lives (laughs) around weekends. They like take long weekends. I'm like, what is that? My off days like Tuesday and Thursday. It's like so random. Um, so I I think just, I honestly want to take like a year and just figure it out and, and not do too much. I'm sure I'll be doing some stuff and we'll have, you know, uh, hopefully a lot of opportunities, but I'm looking forward to being able to to really actually pick and choose where we want to spend our time kind of for the first time ever
1: I was at an event uh, about a year ago It was a political event and you were delivering a, a pretty powerful speech that was On air and somebody came up to me. was like you see that right there. Yeah, she's gonna be in government She's <laughs> she's gonna have a very very bright career in politics if she chooses to So that leads me to ask you, Megan, I mean, you speak up about so many amazing things. And as you, you've developed a language to properly articulate very complex issues in a very simplistic manner. Have you given any thought to politics?
2: Oh gosh, I've given, I've given it a thought. I mean, I'd probably have to go like hellfire on the floor of Congress every single day. I don't know. I don't know how. And
1: we need that. We need that.
2: I know. I know. Democrats need a little bit more punch.
1: I hear, but Megan, how do you how do you how do you even balance that? Because when you watch, you know, uh, you know all these issues that are arising, and you see a lot of these. Some of my friends we joke around like the, the microwave politicians, and I t- we say the guys that or the people that you put in the microwave, you reheat them, you take them out, you put them back in, you reheat them again. It's like the same thing over and over. And there's really not a new. There are new voices, mm-hmm. but not one from the athlete world that would give a different. Take on it?
2: I know. I mean, selfishly, it sounds awful. <laughs> and I. it's like going into government and politics sounds completely insane, especially right now. It's just, I don't know. Maybe every generation says this and every generation thinks that what they're going through is the worst, but it does feel like, and um, Hassan Minhaj uh said this to me on time. It fe- it feels like we're in the downfall section of our Wikipedia page as America. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you're not wrong. You're not, you're not wrong. So am I am I like getting on the ship and going down? Um I, I've given it a little thought, but not anything serious. Um he- I'm always hesitant as well because I think we value fame too much in our culture. And I think that's like, you know, that's what we want now. It's like, we want this sensational kind of politician. And I don't know if that's always the best. I'm sure there's a million people that are way more qualified in a lot of ways, but you also have to be a messenger and you have to be able to effectively communicate in a way that, um, reaches people in a way that moves people in a way that gets people, you know, active and, uh, voting and just in general participating in politics, like I always say politics affects you whether you're involved or not. So you might as well be involved um, and and do your, not even just do your part, but like it's selfishly speaking, like it's going to affect you one way or another. So you might as well try to get your voice in there and get your needs met, but it's probably a a no um, at least in the short term. I feel like I can still be effective and hopefully change spaces and, you know, maybe not change the entire country, but change certain spaces and, and be as loud as possible, but I'd probably get like kicked out of the government or something. That would be, that'd be funny.
1: <laughs> so what's the legacy of Mega Rapino when it's all said and done?
2: Oh, I mean, I feel like for me, it's everything off the field. I mean, I'm so proud of everything I've done on the field. I love that I've been able to have this career. We've been super successful, um, especially as a national team. But for me, I feel like every, like even just, looking at the way the national team looks now there's like so many more black players there's so many more out players like the way that people speak about and the effect that we have i think we've really um you know been one of the major players in you know just everything even we're seeing around women's sports right now and of course the WNBA, um, massive players in that serena Williams, massive player in that i feel like that kind of stuff means more to me there will certainly be players that uh, have been better than me, that are better than me now, that will be better than me in the future and do all of the things. But that's kind of what I'm most proud of, I think, is the way that we've used this platform, um, which is really unique, being able to represent America all the time. Um, and, and kind of flip it on its head to sort of challenge America in a lot of ways. Um, there's nothing Americans love more than sports and America. And when they get to do both with the flag and the whole, you know, how much we love our American flag prayer for Neal It's wild, but we also, the thing we hate the most is being challenged and being Mm. told that we're not like, you know, the land of the free and the home of the brave. So I feel really proud that the team has taken on a number of different whether it's mental health or LGBTQ rights or, you know, racism or equal pay. Like, I feel like the team has done more of that in our tenure. And we've actually had like, you know, sort of solid concrete change in that, that has set the next generation up that will not only make it, you know, obviously better for them, um, you know, monetarily, we have equal pay now, but like, it'll make it easier for them to affect change in a bigger way. And I think that we've been able to clear a path, for them in a lot of ways. And I think that's what I'm most proud of.
1: I can't tell you how much I really appreciate. There is this uh, energy that jumps off the screen when I when I talk to you. It's like a relentless spirit, right? That is, it's gonna keep coming. It's gonna keep coming. So if you've achieved this much already in your playing career with everything that you've spoken up about, I, I can't wait for the next part of it. Um, I can't thank you enough for coming on our show. And uh, thank you for being an inspiration to a lot of people. But more importantly, thank you for being yourself, Megan. And uh, and as that evolves, being honest with everybody, as you change, we all change as people do. So thank you.
2: Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me on. This was so fun.
1: I appreciate it. And please tell Sue I say hello. I I will. A big thank you to Megan Rapinoe and her team for making this interview go down. And a huge shout out to the Women's National Soccer Team for their historic victory. This is really just the beginning of the equal pay conversation. And as Jay Cole says, apply pressure. I love it. And I expect more sports will follow suit. In the Limits Plus episode this week, we talk more about equal pay, but in the international arena. And Megan dives into how she approaches the game itself. Subscribe at plus.npr.org thelimits The Limits. is produced by Karen Kinney, Mano Sundarason, Lena Sanzgiri, Barton Girdwood, Yolanda Sanguini. Our executive producer is Anya Grundman. Music by Ramteen arab Special thanks to Christina Hardy, Rudy Correa, and Charlotte Riggi.
0: This message comes from NPR sponsor, ShipBob. E-commerce logistics making you question why you started your business. Time to outsource fulfillment to the experts over at ShipBob. Get a free quote at shipbob.com. ShipBob.